0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis.
1: Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. I'm Phil Dark, and with me is my brother, Brandon Stiver. And we are stoked for this episode. That's that's like going back in the annals of that word, but I am really excited for this, this show. If you hear some background noise with me right now, it's because I'm at my in-law's house. And so there might be a little background noise um, because we're on our way up. I'm, I'm really excited to go to Tahoe with my family for a couple of days. Good friend gave us a place and we're just going to be able to enjoy that time together. And so I said, you know what? I do not want to miss this episode. I don't want to miss this interview and this conversation. So I'm just going to record here and you guys just pretend that you're at the dark house Hanging out with the family, as my wife says, just merge onto the on ramp of the dark family, and let's get this thing going. So, Brandon, you're not in your normal spot either. So, what's going on with you? This is like, you know, this is yeah. like the location, except we're at different locations. Uh, what do we got going on? Where are you at?
2: Yeah, no, I don't know if you sensed my presence as I uh, came down the five, uh, but <laughs> I left Tacoma, Washington, and I am back here uh, in San Luis Obispo County, California, uh, my my homeland. Yeah, so, yeah, and and for those uh, we we're trying to get the video out for those that do you see the video. Uh, I am clearly in a Sunday school classroom, uh, so we are. I, I was looking for a place that is both quiet and with good internet. My, so yeah. we are with our in-laws as well, uh, who are wonderful people with terrible internet, and uh, so I find myself here uh, at the church uh, that that my wife grew up in so hey yeah, that's uh, awesome ice room is a spot for me so yeah yeah we're, we're road warriors uh, this week for spring break
1: Well that is so cool and you know and what's even cooler is jason johnson right and you know and that he is a cool cat as we know kfo director of church engagement um i believe that's the title i butcher a lot of things but i think that's the title but uh, and uh, he's just a good friend he's a, he's such a wise thinker and we get to have him right now I mean how excited are you for, for Jason and this conversation we get to have
2: uh, uh, yeah I'm super excited uh, you know Jason has just been somebody that I know I've looked up to and being able to connect with him uh, more the last few years uh, I just have always appreciated his insight and, and you know he works with a lot of organizations and providing support so You know as we have a lot of people that are coming from organizations that are listening to think orphan uh he's really an ideal person to have on so uh yeah definitely excited we're going to get into a lot of great
1: stuff with jason yeah and uh you know with jason you know he's part of kfo good reminder again just go if you haven't already register for the kfo summit make it happen get there um, you're hanging out with Brandon and me, but that's like way secondary to all the amazing content you'll be able to get, all the amazing speakers, all the amazing relationships, connecting, networking you'll be able to do there. Um, go on to just kfo.org, and uh, and you can you can see there. Just click the summit button, find out all the all the people who are going to be there, and and, and register. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still an early bird, but uh, hopefully it is and you can sign up as an early bird registration there. But without any more, um, let's get to this interview with Jason Johnson. Well, Jason Johnson, brother, it's so good to have you back. It's been a while. Uh, We just my my pseudo producer, Brandon, told me it was episode 118 um, we're now at two, like probably two eighteen or something. I don't even know now. But how you been, man? Since last time we uh, had you on,
0: i been good, man. Yeah, I'm getting a little nervous. Uh, you know, when someone has you around once and then they don't invite you back, you start to wonder. So, a hundred episodes yeah. later, I, I'm feeling affirmed and loved.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad you do because you are loved and I'm glad you feel that. I and uh, I know, I know I'm grateful for you, grateful for our friendship, but, uh, you know, many in the audience, you know, it's, it's hard to believe, but I'm sure there are some out there who are not familiar with you and your work. Um, so, for those who don't know you, um, can you just briefly introduce yourself, remind them who you are. They can go back to episode 118. I think we, I don't know if we've had you on twice. I feel like we have, but, um, but anyway, no, just once. Okay. Um, so, there it is. Um, why don't you just, you know, catch us up on what you're doing and, uh, just give a brief introduction of who
0: you are. Yeah. So my name is Jason Johnson. I get to do a number of things, particularly I get to do, um, most of them through an organization called Christian Alliance for Orphans that I've gotten to work with for almost eight years now, which is wild to think about. So, um, I get to serve the church and just, um, develop resources. Come alongside uh, leaders that are either a working within churches or are b working within organizations that are that are working with churches, um, and so doing a lot of work with with nonprofit organizations, agencies on how do we build relationships with churches in our community? How do we serve and support them? How do we build trust with them? And then on the flip side, as a church, what does it look like for us to engage in this space with wisdom and with sustainability and with the right partners around us and then outside of that i get to spend a lot of time just encouraging families uh, that are at different points along their journey of of caring for kids and families uh, that are in some hard places um, and that takes a number of forms could be foster care adoption could be working with biological families um, uh, to help really prevent some of those downstream things and just a number of different things so that's what i get to do
1: yeah and you do it well and you know so folks if you're out there and you and you're listening and you work at a church you work um for a nonprofit that's working with the orphan the vulnerable definitely reach out to jason because you know he will get you the resources you need he'll point you to the people he'll he'll be able to help you out in in so many different ways and i know he speaks at the summit quite a bit so Mm -hmm. Definitely. If you're not aware, he's got some great books out there. We'll have them all in the show notes. Um, and uh, don't don't hesitate to reach out because Jason wants to help you, and I no doubt he will be able to. Yeah, for sure. Cool.
2: Yeah, and, and Jason has a lot of resources that are online. Uh, you guys can uh, definitely check out his website, which will be linked in the show notes as well. Um, and you know, really, as I was, uh, we had we had a few guests uh, that were kind of lining up. And here I had Jason and I was like, man, I got to prepare some materials here. And I'm like doing this like the day before. But the truth is, uh, Mr. Johnson has so much that I was able to throw a f- together quite a few topics. Uh, so, we're going we're gonna to have a little bit of a wide-ranging uh, conversation today. And one of the things that kind of stuck out to me as I was getting into some of your recent work, uh, Jason, uh, some, of, some of this work has been specifically focused on encouraging and equipping foster dads. Yeah. Uh, I would love if you could just share with us, you know, we talk about fatherhood, we talk about foster care, um, and you know, there's other people that have been doing good work in this space as well, but um, often kind of uh, a little left behind when it comes to the dads uh, in these arrangements. Can you share with us about that work as as well as, you know, the role that you see foster dads playing in the lives of of their foster children and, and even the unique support uh, needs that they have as carers? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I appreciate you honing in on that and
0: just by nature when you when we start talking about men and women, you know, there's some generalizations that are made and so I understand uh, there's exceptions to everything but generally speaking, um, what we find are um, that there are just particular and very uh, unique sets of things that men process through and think through, um, and maybe struggle with, but also perhaps are excited about, right? Just unique emotions, unique processes uh, that men and women go through as they consider whatever it is that God might be inviting them to do. And, um, so we recognize the importance that in a situation where there's a married couple that um, they have environments in which together they can be encouraged and supported together but we also recognize that uh, there are some unique opportunities for them in to uh, find some unique support and encouragement as a man and as a woman um you know and that just was really born out of a lot of my experience again generally speaking and of course there's exceptions but Everywhere I go, all over the country. Um, the vast majority of stories are um particularly in a married in a marriage, that maybe the wife or the the, the woman felt felt called to this or felt passionate about this, maybe a little faster or sooner than maybe the husband did. And in what appeared perhaps to be hesitancy, I actually find in a lot of cases we we confuse um processing and wanting to do it well and just kind of make sure that we're walking into this with the right mind frame as hesitancy. Um and it, it's not necessarily hesitancy, it's maybe cautiousness, right? So for me, my own um experience was our daughters at the time were five, three, and one. Our church plant was a couple of years old. Our life was crazy. And my wife said, I think now's the time for us to become foster parents. You know, and I thought Well, that's funny. Having now, like the absolute worst time ever. You know, I have cordial conversations um, about it, um, uh, but very different processes. And mine was every Christian parenting book I'd ever read essentially told me isolate and insulate your kids from hard things. And here I have three precious little princess girls, and it's my job to protect them from everything that's hard. And this seems to be. The exact opposite of that, right? Uh, and so I needed to process through that, and um, uh, it was—it didn't mean that I wasn't on board. It just meant that I had some—I had different layers of processing to go through. Uh, and so I'll, I'll end with this: uh, you know, what we find often is the sentiment of we need to be on the same page, and, and I get that. I, you—you you don't want to be dragging someone into this. But um, I also think there's something to be celebrated if maybe we're not on the same page but can we at least talk about whether or not we're reading the same book? Are we reading the same book? Like do we both care about this? Do we both feel like this is going to be a part of our story one day, our family? Um, Do we believe that God has this for us? Great. It feels like we're reading the same book. Let's celebrate that. Now, you're just on page 200 and I'm still in the table of contents. Right. But at least we're reading the same book, right? And let's celebrate that and then let's For men, particularly who might be reading a little bit slower, great opportunity to say you know what, maybe sometimes what it means to to be a leader in my family is actually to be willing to follow what God has put on my wife's heart and I have found over the years that some of the leaders I love the most and respect the most are ones that don't always have to be out front. Uh, They like to create environments in which others can flourish and I grew up in a tradition that said you're the leader of your home. You know, and I thought, gosh, I don't even know what that means, right? And I think sometimes it means being willing to follow, yeah, uh, and read a little bit faster. So, just creating those environments
2: for men uh, to connect on those levels and to process, I think, is important. Yeah, no, I love that, and and I love that picture too um, around leading and following. I remember one of a one of my pastors back in Long Beach, he gave that as kind of a as kind of a mentor example of leading from behind. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of value in that. My wife and I love to get up into Wisconsin where my folks live and we have a canoe and it's 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 a similar type of dynamic where she sits in the front and I'm in the back and she gets the beautiful view and, you know, she's in front of me but, you know, you still have some control when you're towards the back and, and we just always think about that. That's so, that's so good. Yeah, you're helping the guy with my, I took our
0: our family was in Colorado this past summer and took some of the girls on whitewater rafting and I was fascinated by the, by the guy in the back who was controlling everything, right? Uh, knowing this guy's been down this river hundreds of times, right? Right. But it's the first time for everyone that he takes out and but this guy knows, he knows exactly where to take us and we're up here enjoying the ride um, thinking we're doing a lot when really he's doing.
2: Right. He's most of it. right
0: yeah yeah i think so just celebrating that we're, we're 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 in the same boat we're reading the same book man that's awesome that's great now let's provide a place for guys to get together and and talk just uniquely about what the, how this feels as a man as a husband as a father what are you struggling with what, what are some things that you a safe place for you to say and share some things that maybe. Uh, other men around you in your life at the office or at church just might not be able to really fully connect with
2: yeah Yeah. no i think that's huge and and you know as a as an adoptive dad myself um having those connections with other dad with other dads is really critical um i know you know i've done road trip and we've done replanted and and those opportunities to connect with other guys is really critical and um, you know some of the resources Jason Johnson blog uh, He has a great e course there that are specifically for dad. So uh, and I, I mentioned the blog there. Um, I think that that I, I don't I don't know how the, what the genesis of these things are, Jason, where you were a pastor and then became a writer, and uh, it, it's just funny. I remember when I used to it. If For those that see the video, I don't always uh, record from a a children's ministry classroom (laughs) uh, at a small Baptist church, but I'm actually back in San Luis Obispo uh, where my wife and I are from. And uh, I used to work at a foster care agency here. And I remember it was a community-based organization. People, uh, some were Christian, some weren't, but the Christians they would be like, oh, did you see Jason's most recent blog? Like like there's a there's a real fanboy, fangirl uh, a component around your blog. And it's well known within foster care spaces um, and has really served as an encouragement to a lot of parents in this space. Um, so, and, and there's continues to be great content there in addition to your books. Um, I was reading through uh, one of your more recent blogs and uh, you wrote about the grieving in the life of foster and adoptive parents, which is... Um, Not something we always uh, think about as we're getting on into that journey. Um, And in that you write, life would be much easier if we didn't do hard things. But here we are grieving the loss of a life we thought we would have for the more beautifully complicated one that we've now found. Clinging to the tension of this is what we signed up for, but this isn't at all what we signed up for. Sometimes we just want our old life back or at least a more sanitized version of the one we thought we might have. I thought that that was so profound. It was funny because, you know, being back in our hometown uh, this week when we're doing this recording, um, my wife and I always find ourselves very reflective whenever we go mm-hmm. back to our hometown. Maybe hometowns just kind of have that effect on people. But uh, mm-hmm. we were talking about this, uh, doing hard things and choosing to do hard things. Mm-hmm. Um but can you kind of speak to that grief or that uh, that 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 parents feel and uh, you know what resolve is out there for people that are uh, walking through something that is more than they had anticipated?
0: Yeah, wow um, talk about um, using your own words against you thanks for that uh, <laughs> uh, yeah brought me back to you know most of the stuff on the blog that I that I write is honestly it's like for me um and then I go I wonder if other people are experiencing this and can resonate with this kind of thing you know and so it's been very real for us um and I'll just be I'll just be frank um uh when when my wife and I were were hanging out in college before we were you know officially boyfriend and girlfriend and then actually in a couple days we'll celebrate the 21-year anniversary of the day we got engaged and so you know that whole time period. um, uh, I would start to say to her, hey, can I be frank with you and that was kind of my lead in to say something to her that you know was um, pretty forward like, hey, I really like you or you know, hey, I think you're really cute, can I be frank with you and so that became like the moniker of okay, when Jason wants to be really honest, he turns them to Frank, right? And so, I'm going to put my Frank cap on here for a minute and this is now Frank speaking. Um, Frank right. Johnson everybody. Frank, Frank Johnson, Johnson. Johnson. Here we go, here we go. Uh, I think if most families on this journey were willing to be honest and again to have a safe place to say here's what I'm thinking and feeling and I don't even know if I have permission to think or feel this way, let alone say it out loud, right? Um, I want families to know you have to feel the permission to say those things and have a place to say them out loud or they're going to destroy you on the inside. Um, and one of those is just one of those feelings I think is we have taken on some complications in our home and in our family. Um, probably more than we could ever even possibly measure um, and quantify and then we find ourselves looking around perhaps at other families at our life stage and we think us, oh, they can just like go on vacation and not have to worry about how a particular member of their family is going to handle it. or." They don't have to take two cars everywhere because they don't have a scenario in which they might have to get one kid out of there early, um, you know. Um, and you just start to you you start to run down that trail. And um, I recently heard someone share that um, the root of resentment we often think it's anger, like the emotion's anger, and really it's envy. Um, uh, that I'm envious of you know, what I see outside of me and that develops kind of a seed of of resentment within me. And I think if a lot of families were honest, they would say, I I feel that at times, I feel that. Um, and it's in those moments that we have an incredible opportunity to lean into and fall back on a couple of things. Number one, uh, our, our absolute unwavering belief that none of this is in vain, it is all worth it, that God has the capacity to take really, really, really hard complicated things and turn them into really, really beautiful things and we get to participate in that. Um, how much better is that than just easily being able to go on a family vacation kind of thing, you know? And I think that sometimes we go, actually, I choose the family vacation, right? But then at the end of the day, we go, no, like this is this is um this is our hope and it's our sustenance and a lot of the work that i do is really geared towards giving people the tools and resources and the language that they need to preach the gospel to themselves when they're left with nothing but their own thoughts in the dark night of their soul and um they they have to, in that moment, be able to remind themselves of why they do this and what their hope is. And then I think, second, being able to lean into the community of people around them. Um, and I know that's a hard one for a lot of people. Um, uh, and that's why the first one is so important. Because when you are left with nothing but yourself and your own thoughts, we have to be able to preach what's true to ourselves. Uh, and then to be able to lean in the community of people around us and say, I need to be reminded by others who are on this journey why this journey is so worth it um, and that it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Um, so I think it's important that families will be, that individuals be willing to name that grief and name those troubles and those thoughts and then have helpful ways to process and respond to them and not push them down or push them aside or ignore them like they're not there. I think when we do that, it's only going to, um, in the long term, make the explosion that much more devastating and catastrophic.
2: Hey guys, I want to pop in and let you know about an upcoming webinar from our friends at Faith to Action. Short-term missions has been a recurring conversation here on Think Orphan, and we want to point you towards this upcoming resource. So here's the deal. Over the last few decades, an almost undetectable cultural undertow has been pulling many churches and missions agencies off course. Despite good intentions, we have somehow become the beneficiaries of our own mission work as we move towards practices that fulfill us more than serve others. So we want to plug you into thoughtful solutions through the upcoming webinar, Beyond Selfie Missions, how missions became all about me and what to do about it. The webinar is happening Thursday, June 8th from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern, and it will also have a 30-minute Q&A session afterwards. The presenters will be Dr. Hunter Farrell, Dr. Brian Fickert, and Emmanuel Nabu. You've heard Brian and Nabs on the podcast before, and these are truly leaders that we look to for informing missions practice. So click the link in the show notes to register for Beyond Selfie Missions on June 8th.
1: There is so much goodness in that last answer. I, you know, I just, as you're talking, I had this epiphany. I'm like, you know, I think you, well, I think Anne Voskamp is the female Jason Johnson, just the eloquence that comes through. She is so flowery and be- and good. Like, I know, flowery. I know. It's just it's just flowery goodness. It is, yeah. of, Like, you just read it and you can't help but be just have a feeling of gratitude when you listen to her write and her writing is gorgeous. But you put things in such ways that I, I just, I really appreciate so much and i I know i'm not alone in that um you have a gift that that you're using for his glory and i'm i'm very very grateful that you do and so keep that up and i know you will um but uh the the you know that kind of leads to the next question though just about you've written a lot of books we've talked about um one of them previously but um everyone has needs to do something or can do something what was the name of that book i i totally know it. i read it, it. It's awful. Yeah, we butchered it. Everybody, I totally...
2: everybody do something
0: ever just let's do something yeah every every person should do everyone can do something there are people yeah. close to me in my life close to me in my life and that book's been out for a few years and they yeah. they, they close people literally have never said the correct title <laughs> uh, hey i don't know what's so
1: know, hard about you know, it honestly it's not it's not it's it's not be frank so what is the correct that everyone can do something yes, right? yeah 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 okay Oof, yeah. yeah i said something like that so <laughs> so uh on that note peter greer when he was on the show he butchered He's a co-author on in pursuit of orphan excellence and he, he butchered <laughs> it on here so you know it's it's that was and then the next time he came on he's like wait i i realized i butchered the title i'm like that's okay we, we i forgive you um but that's okay um but assuming you remember this, le- this book you wrote, I want to ask you a question about uh, a couple of years ago. You came out with the book "Effectively Engaging Churches." Yeah. Not everyone can do so. That's a great book too. Go read it. Um, the beauty of it is, folks, you have the book. We're not going to do a quick. We're not going to do a full summary of the book. We're not going to do go down and here's the Cliff Notes version for those of you Spark Notes for the the younger generation. Um, but that book covers four principles organization ought to undertake when engaging churches right can you just share a little bit about the book and how you've seen church engagement done well so more probably focus on the last part but just a quick rundown of what the book is because people can grab the book but how what are some examples or what, what is it just kind of principles or themes that for the churches that have engaged well
0: yeah um anytime anyone says uh remember those four things? Can you list them? I always I'll only remember three. Or remember those twenty seven things? I'll remember twenty six. So I'm terrified now. I don't think I can remember all four.
1: Yeah, well, no, that's okay, okay. and and it's funny you say that because that's why I hesitate to even do it because most authors I, I say hey can you share whatever and they're like well that I wrote that book eight years ago mm-hmm. and like Paul Tripp he's written like thirty five books and he's like so I I purposefully had the quotes I didn't do that in this instance because I don't need you to say all four because people okay, okay. can read it okay yeah. um or just Google Jason Johnson in the book and somebody else will have given a full summary of the book but you're gonna tell us yeah. a little bit about just the general so judgment.
0: let me say, let me say this um. Yeah, there's some books out there but what I really, really hope is that they feel more like resources and less like books. I want them to be resources that can be used um, and this is the same. So it's very small, it's very short, there's, we did that on purpose. There may be a second edition coming soon, we'll add a, a little more context to some things but um, the impetus behind it is this. is I've sat in the pastor seats. I've sat in the church step seats, um, and and then interacting in the nonprofit world for now a number of years, recognizing that we've got to get this relationship right. Um, that we are all part of the big C uh, church. Um, that uh, the vast majority of um, and not the vast majority, um, every organization that we work with within CAFO just in terms of like membership and those those that are part of CAFO. Are Christ-centered or Christian, uh, and uh, that's part of the capital C church. And so we've got to get this relationship right between congregations, uh, local congregations, and these ministries, nonprofits. Uh, and largely, uh, again, I'll speak very generally, but I think you know there may be some exception, very little uh, in this regard. Historically, the nonprofit approach to churches has largely been kind of a leech model, which is hey here's a problem that we're trying to solve. And here's the Bible verses that demonstrate why God cares about this problem most. Um, and now here's what we need from you church to help us do what we do. We need your money, your people, your stage, a whole sermon would be great. A booth in your lobby, uh, everything that we can possibly get from you to help us solve this problem that God cares most about. That's what we need. And then um, when the church kind of says, Hey, um, I don't, yeah, we're stretched thin right now. You know our plate's are already full. Or maybe they don't even respond to the cold call email asking for everything. Uh, then the nonprofit walks away a little bit mad and frustrated and disillusioned because the ch- the church doesn't care. And I, and I, you know we got to a point where we we just it was time to start saying stop it, stop it, stop the madness. Uh, it is highly likely the church does care your approach to them was just so unbelievably off-putting um and counter counterproductive um that they may they may have cared a lot and then you shut up and now they actually care less you know i'm being boy that was frank uh you know but so we go okay what if it's not that the church doesn't care um what if it's that we maybe can find ways to approach churches that help them know how to care. And it becomes less about positioning our organization as um, as front and center and more about positioning the church as front and center. So, we, we say it this way, um, what if your organization began to approach churches not trying to get from the church but working to be for the church and how does that change language approach? What you do, and um, there's some pretty significant implications in that shift of posture uh, that we unpack in the book. We we host uh, cohorts with with church engagement leaders, workshops, and uh, consulting with organizations on this. And you know, I'll give you an example. We uh, not long ago was um, in in the. Um, conference room of an organization in a very large city, a very large organization uh, agency and we were looking at their websites and we said, okay, let's fill who's the audience of your website. There was some you know, disagreement in the room around that and we go, okay, well, we gotta let's figure out who, who's the primary audience of your organization you know and uh, someone said the kids are and I said, no, I think they're the beneficiaries of the work. But if I'm opening a private school in my town, I'm not marketing to kids, I'm marketing to the parents. The kids are the beneficiaries, the parents are footing the bill. Um, uh, And, you know, I quickly discovered there were a lot of staff members in the room that disagreed that the child was the audience. They were just scared to say it because the person who said it was an executive leader. like, okay we got to figure this out, who's the audience? They said, well, I think actually the church is the audience for our website. We said, okay, let's read it through those lenses. And um, every reference to a family that they served said, our families are supported, our families are well-trained, our families, our families. And we said, if I'm a church reading this, you are claiming ownership of these families as the agency. What if we added a why? in front of all of those hours and to the church, now we're saying your families are well-supported, your families are well-trained, right? Now it's about you, the local church, and we are here to help you, not you are here to help us first, right? So that's just an example of some of the implications that began to unfold when we begin to explore the ship, to posture, and that's what the little
1: book is all about. Yeah, that's great that is so so good and and just for the listeners out there and i'm just going to tease that book the four points you jason too since you probably forgot one of them but uh, be a good guide shrink your problem increase clarity and tear your on ramps so that's all we're going to say about it go check it out go grab it if this is something that you're like oh i gotta learn more you do need to learn more go grab that book check it out and uh, dive into it and then reach out to jason to see how you can take it to the next step cool
2: yeah, no, it was really good. And it's funny because I've been in that room before and I remember being tasked with like, go recruit from the churches. And it, and it felt like a very kind of extractive model, you know, just like, just go and just pull resources from there. Uh, but what I really hear you saying is, you know, this, it's a partnership, you know, and it's a, and, and it's guiding and it's, and it's putting things in the right uh, lens, putting things in the right context. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll say this, you know, a big thing we're
0: finding and I think this is true in a number of different seats that people sit in in this particular space of caring for vulnerable kids and families. Um, but on the organizational side, for example, if, if we're driven by an urgency and I find that a lot in organizations, we're so keyed in on the problem and the crisis that we're trying to address. And that's a good thing, but sometimes that can create kind of a um, uh, a posture of urgency. The crisis is big and overwhelming, and the need is urgent. And here's everything we need from you. Uh, that sense of urgency can sometimes breed a spirit of scarcity. Uh, that the resources are finite, and we desperately need your church. We desperately need everything that we can get from you to meet this overwhelming crisis. And then. Urgency tends to breed kind of a a spirit of scarcity which then I think diminishes the quality, has an effect on the quality of the work that we do. Um, uh, So um, if I'm just in a hurry because I'm in crisis mode and um, I'm trying to get as much as I can, as fast as I can, scarcity mode, uh, then I'm I'm just not going to produce good work at the end. Um, And what we want to do is see organizations within local communities who are, who are um, frankly targeting the same churches in that local community, um, uh, be working in integration with one another and saying rather than 17 of us targeting the same church and hitting them up on all sides, what does it look like for us to be integrated and not driven by scarcity to the degree that one organization can be listening to a church, talk about here's what we care about and our values and here's what we're good at and that organization because they're not operating from a place of scarcity would be able and willing to say, you know what, Um, based on what we have learned about you and your church, we actually don't think that we're the best partner for you right now. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems that you guys would really thrive in this particular space and we know a really great organization or partner that we'd love to introduce you to that can help you do that. Like we're not able to do that for the church if we're operating from a place of scarcity. So. We see a heart for that. Like when we work with organizations, they're they're saying, "Yes, that's what we want. That's what we want." So again, I think even on the organizational side, it's not uh, they don't want this, and we need to convince them they do. I think more and more are feeling it. They're saying, "What do we do with this?" Um, and and so, if if there's anything that we can do that's helpful in that regard, then then we want to be accessible. So anyway,
2: yeah, no, I love that, and and you know, even as you're discussing that kind of exploration process and getting the right people in the right seat so to speak um there's a recognition there that the church is not the only actor in this space and really we need to make sure that they are in the right spot the right seat and and uh i remember a previous conversation i had with you jason where you said something i was like that's not something that everybody says Uh uh and and basically it's that uh you know, many people have said that the church is or should be the solution to the orphan care or the foster care crisis. Uh, So as somebody that is working with a lot of churches and is very involved in this space, you know, do you agree with that assessment? And, and then, you know, what role should the church play when interacting in foster care spaces?
0: Um, Yeah. Um, What's the disclaimer that's given when, uh, you know, Hey, I
1: work for this organization. <laughs> Your views may not yes. Yes. express yeah. the views are, of the organization. These are ex- we will exclusively, exclusively the views of Frank Johnson. <laughs> yes, yes, Frank Johnson. Exactly. <laughs> I will say now you can speak Frank. Although I will say that this is
0: largely the this the sentiment of of my colleagues as well, and I think you guys as well. I, um, and I believe the church is uniquely gifted and called and qualified um, to move towards some, (laughs) some difficult, hard places, particularly where people are most at risk and vulnerable and susceptible. I think that's clear in scripture. You cannot get away from it. You've got to do all kinds of gymnastics around the Bible to get away from that whole idea. Um, in so doing as the church moves towards these spaces and engages these spaces um, it will necessitate being willing to sit around the table with other entities partners who are also engaged in those spaces and are able to do things that the church cannot or should not do. Um, so, for me sitting at that table where multiple partners are needed and as a church making the claim to them that hey, I know we're all working in this space and we need each other but I want to be very clear before we start this meeting. We, I believe that the church is the solution. To all of this, I think that's a that's um, not a helpful statement. In that context, yeah. um, is the church a significant part of the solution to this? Absolutely, hundred percent. But it requires partnership with, um, for example, if you're engaged in the foster care space, the church simply cannot. Well, uh, license families and place kids. That is a function of, of an entity that has been commissioned by the state and all of that. Uh, and so, we say, okay, uh, as a church, we can't license families and place kids. What are we as the church uniquely called to do? Disciple people, pastor people, shepherd people, support people, care for people. Um, So, we're not going to abdicate that to the agency, we're not going to say agency, we need you to license our families, place kids with our families, manage all the casework and then also emotionally and spiritually and physically support every need that they have. Uh, We're going to say actually, that's what we're uniquely gifted and called to do Uh, and we're going to work in partnership with you because collectively together, we are the solution to this, to this problem that we're addressing um so i hope that's fair i hope that makes sense um i just don't know that it's that the posturing of the church is the solution kind of language is needed or helpful yeah
2: yeah no i mean i really appreciate that that viewpoint and and for sure (laughs) as somebody who worked for an agency i can think of times where i stood on a stage and said you guys are the solution, you know. To speaking to the church, yeah. and I know I'm like thinking, like, yeah, uh,
1: no, they're part of the solution. Uh, so, anyways, you speaking of different yeah, parts. And on that note, uh, on that note, uh, Brandon it reminded me again of Peter Greer when I asked him the question that you know Andy Crouch had said something in Poverty Inc. and about that the solution is just connectivity. Like, they need to be the people to get them out of poverty need to be connected. Right, and and I said, do you agree with Andy on that? And 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 Peter, you know, he, he's uh, very diplomatic. Said, well, I will never disagree with Andy Crouch on something, but, um, or he said he said, and, um, it's nuanced, right? There's so many multiple factors, so many multiple actors, and that's what you had, kind of alluded to, and that just totally reminded me of that. These these all these, which is why we do this show, right? It's nuanced. It's not one thing that if it was, we'd have it solved yeah right and uh you know and so that's yeah yeah 100 percent. and
0: even just going back to the previous conversation about the scenario in which an organization with great intentions is trying to help a church engage in this space i don't even think in that context for a church that's really just starting to think through what does it look like for us to learn more about this start, start to take some steps towards this For them to be told right out of the gate you're the solution to this like they're already overwhelmed and are in need of just someone to help them kind of develop clarity and what's our next steps but to then place on them oh by the way you're the solution to this whole thing like that's that's crushing that's a crushing weight
2: yeah no that's really really well said and you know as we are thinking about these different uh components uh, you, you know kind of thinking along the whole continuum of you know childhood vulnerability mm-hmm. you know I was I was thinking about um, about a guest that we had on earlier this year we had on uh, Sarah Winograd she was with um, she's with the organization called Together for Families based in Atlanta mm-hmm. um, but she was on the podcast and and they really have a model that focuses a lot on family preservation working with families that are living in poverty prevention And uh, she said something that I would love to get your thoughts on. So uh, on the episode with Sarah earlier this year, she said, most families love their children. And if we wrapped around them as a church and as a faith community, the same way we wrap around foster care, we wouldn't need foster care or we would need it very little. And the federal government does the same thing because we as a society have judged these families, even the church. I would love to get your thoughts on this. Uh, You know, do you agree with Sarah's? uh, Both of you guys are just astounding leaders. So, uh, I would just love to kind of get your thought on this as somebody who is really thoughtful. and, And could churches, you know, how could churches better engage even preventative measures in lieu of or in addition to their work in foster care? Yeah. So, you
0: know, I would never disagree with Sarah and non I don't even know you know Sarah I don't you even know, don't, know I need to um no so I think there's some truth in the statement I would also say you know there's um I'm const- I, I'm constantly reminded of the scene in scripture where uh, the woman comes in and breaks an expensive jar of perfume over the feet of Jesus and um, the disciples criticize her for it And so essentially say, um, don't, doesn't she know, Jesus, doesn't she know how how many people we could have helped with the money that we could have made off of that perfume and now she's just breaking it over your feet. And, and, you know, Jesus basically says, guys, listen, that money would have done some good, but it wouldn't have solved the whole problem. Like the problem's always going to be there. And I don't mean, I don't think he's meaning that in a, um, uh, kind of, uh, you know, doomsday kind of way, like there's no hope, it's horrible, you know, I think he's he's helping to shift a little bit of mindset because honestly, we can start playing that game like, uh, I can't believe Brandon and his family would go on vacation when there's so much suffering in the world, right? That's not fair. And I think Jesus would say, there's always going to be suffering in the world, okay? And so, we've got to learn how to live within these tensions. Um... So when I, I I look at this and I think um, fo- we're always going to need foster care, unfortunately. I think I think Jesus would say, listen, the need for kids to have to temporarily be placed in in environments that um, are safe and loving for them while uh, the work of restoration and healing happens, it's that's just it's always going to be a part yeah. of our human story. No. So, um, does that mean that we don't try to prevent it as much as possible? Of course not. Uh, but we, we don't, we don't. And I'm not saying that Sarah said this by any means at all. I'm now I'm kind of broader narrative. Um, I think we're really good at pendulum swinging in the Christian community. And when we got involved in foster care, my wife and I, largely I felt like the narrative was... There's bad people out there and we need to go rescue kids from them and bring them into our good homes. And then when we actually did that, we actually brought our first placement in, we very quickly realized, oh, that's not what's happening here at all. Actually, what's happening here is there are there's a mom that desperately loves her kid and has grown up in generational cycles that she just can't get out from underneath and she's devastated now that it is playing itself out in her little girl. Uh, And we're not rescuing her from anything and pulling her out of anything into our place. We're actually being asked to be pulled into her story and to stay there forever. So, like, then we go, oh, okay. Um, And then I think we swung the pendulum real far to um, if if you don't achieve healthy reunification, then you fail to do the gospel. So, like, we went from, like, Let's rescue these kids and we go, oh, that feels wrong. So then we went way over here and I literally would be at events um, a number of years ago where it just really felt like that's what was being said. If you ended up having to adopt through foster care or adopt a child um, who could no longer go home in whatever context that was, then, then you failed. And I saw I was literally sitting in a workshop where this was all but being said and I saw mom's in there crying and I finally just had to stand up and say I, I can't this I, I need to I have to ask for you to either retract and like clarify or double down like is this actually what you're saying because you have people in here who have sure. adopted through foster care and you're basically telling them that they failed the gospel, right? So, mm. So where I think we are now actually is really, really, really healthy. I think we're in a place where the understanding of the continuum Um, is growing Uh, and it's not a posturing thing. It's not saying, hey, here's the continuum and if you're not working on the prevention side, then you are not doing it right. I think there's a healthy understanding of every engaging at every point along this continuum is needed and necessary and right. So, going upstream, absolutely. Um, we're seeing significant significantly more efforts in that regard, even from organizations and families, churches that maybe initially their entry point may have been midstream and that opened the door to okay, we've jumped in midstream and these kids midstream have become a portal into an understanding of the broader continuum. Does that make sense? Absolutely. For our family, it was we, we brought we started to bring foster placements in and they became a doorway into their world where we then discovered, oh, biological mom. Oh, generational cycles. Oh, like And so the gift that these kids gave us in coming into our home, I don't know that we would have ever discovered on our own or been able to see on our own. they, they taught us that. And so I think we see organizations and churches maybe initially engage at one at at one point, and maybe they they spend a few years there, and and then they go, okay, we've been in this space for a while, and it's opened our world to this, and so now we're going to start also moving move into some of these other directions, and where we're primarily seeing that is heavy emphasis on traditional foster care for years ago has opened the door to, oh, there's this whole other end of the continuum where we actually went, we're going to stay engaged here, but we're also going to start doing whatever we can to prevent what's happening here.
1: Yeah, that is, uh, that is again, just so, so good. And, it, you know, what it reminds me of, and this is what I just suggest, if you're listening to this and you're new to the space and you're thinking, my way is the right way, it's, th- it's what's going to solve the crisis, talk to somebody who's been doing it longer than you talk to somebody you know i remember mike doris been doing it over four four decades of work and you know he said this the same thing the pendulum swing and we gotta use all the tools in our tool belt cod guckenberger you know has been doing it a very long time with back-to-back ministries and talks about the pendulum swing and usually it goes back you know to the other side and so to remember that look you know everyone says well 80 percent of the kids have living family members yeah but a lot of those family members aren't able to really care for the kids and that still leaves 20 percent that need to be cared for who are out of family so these are things that, you know, we can use stats for marketing and different things and for donors and it tends to bleed into like a dogmatic approach of this is the way, mm-hmm. this is the way to do it and then we end up infighting which is the last, absolute last thing we need to do. Right. The fact is all of the people doing the work are needed. We just need to do it together with excellence, understanding what each other does, understanding that you don't need to reinvent the wheel and do that thing that they're doing. You just need to work with them. And that's why we talk about collaboration. That's why we talk about this stuff. But that takes getting to know people. That takes trusting people. That takes understanding people. And I will tell you, you know, I've been doing it along with Brandon and Jason. You guys have been doing this and been in the trenches long enough to know that there is a ton of really, really good work with really, really passionate people going on. And there's other people who really need help to understand what that great work looks like. And to the extent we can have a humble posture, a learning posture, and really a teaching posture that is not one of arrogance and we have the right way, but to say, how can I understand you and how can you understand me and then how can we move forward together? Kind of like you talked about with the church, too. It's like working, you know, for the church, working with the church, not working, you know, not getting something from the church, And when we have that posture, amazing things can happen. And so I very, very much appreciate that. And, and you know, and I've you know, talked about that same thing for years and we've talked about it offline. And, uh, you know, and I just I just value, you know, how you're able to express that in different ways. because you've thought about it so much now. Foster care isn't perfect we all know that right you know there's there's issues it's county by county different counties some are doing it better some are doing it you know d- different levels but what would you say just across the board um, you know are the most significant gaps surrounding foster care and I know that's massive topic we don't have time to get into all the details but just you know kind of the gist um, surrounding foster care child welfare systems and then what are some innovative and effective approaches you've seen churches organizations families that use that actually are starting to kind of bridge some of those gaps and maybe even fill some of those gaps
0: yeah um immediately my my first thought is a gap in our thinking um uh going back to that scarcity that spirit of scarcity um particularly in the christian community i think it's time for us to um actually believe that um God's not surprised by any of this, he's not caught off guard, he's not worried, he's not hurried and um, he has, he's just not worried about it and part of me wants to say, well why not, right? Doesn't he understand? Yeah, he understands and and so, may, is there an element in which um... A gap in my thinking and in my belief that needs to be reframed and refined is, um, I, honestly right now what I have going through my head is, uh, the John, um, oh gosh, my mind just went blank. You guys are gonna have to help me. Switchfoot, lead singer. John Foreman. John Foreman. He his, does his own stuff. He did this super cool him and his guitar version of the scripture, why should I worry, you know, the lilies in the field. And I have that going through my head every time I think of this this idea of urgency and scarcity, just being reminded that um, why should I worry that God, God, you know, the lilies of the fields, and and all that um, if I'm driven by scarcity, I'm not able to do at all what you just laid out, Phil. I'm not able to say all of us are doing good work, all of us are needed, um, and. And I'm not able to do what what we talked about earlier, where if I'm an organization and I'm learning about a church and they're, you know, I'm saying here's what they value and what their rhythms are like and what their resources are like, and uh, and I go, you know what? Um, here's here's the lane on this continuum that our organization serves in, but I really feel like you guys are you guys are really well set up to engage at a different part of this continuum effectively, and I want to connect you to people that are doing that. If i'm driven by worry and urgency and scarcity i'm not able to do that i'm actually thinking okay what do i need to add or change about our organization in order to keep this church partner I'm like let's just stop that so there's a gap in our thinking and in our believing um and i think that collectively in the last several years we've all recognized there's a gap in what's happening upstream in prevention space and we're all kind of working towards what does that look like um, and i think we've brought the pendulum back you know back you know away from like the the edge a little bit where um we instead of you know it, out prevention or die you know prevention is the gospel and we're gonna it's actually all the gospel um and it's nuanced and so we go okay uh we were really zealous about this um, and we still are but now it's being tempered by the need for wisdom in this uh and so i, I would say that that's where we are and there's a couple of things with that number one um uh, if I want to get involved in foster care, in the midstream foster care as we understand it, the steps are pretty clear. Um, you go to this class, this class, this class, you have this happen, this happens, and this happens. Uh, or if I'm a church, you know, where we want to get involved, uh, there's this foster cause that you can serve with, there's this small group, you know, support group you can start. There's this relatively clear, not easy but clear when i start looking upstream and i say i want to prevent families from finding themselves downstream there it, it, i do. what's step one right like what's step two what's step? it's just not that linear it's not that clear and so it's complicated um and i'm not suggesting that we just you know let's just kind of uh put some simple steps in place because what's not going to happen what what shouldn't happen is church decides uh oh we're gonna we're gonna get involved in that space now and so we're going to strut into a part of our city that we have largely avoided um and pretended like doesn't exist and we're going to announce ourselves as now the solution to all of the upstream crisis that exists in that particular part of our city everyone uh yeah that's definitely not step one right uh so what is it so just Developing those clear on-ramps, coming alongside organizations that have been doing long hard work for a long time and they've developed the relational clout, the relational trust, the relational equity Um, and coming alongside them learning and listening and being humble. But then I think also second is thinking outside of the space of of traditional foster care. So for example, one of the things that you guys had asked about in some of the notes was just some innovative things that we're seeing happen. Um, there's an organization that we get to work with uh based out of Florida, uh, and uh they their whole organization, it's brilliant. They they work with churches on developing clear strategic plans for their benevolence, for how they're gonna do benevolence. Um and they have processes in place um, and applications in place for families who, are fi- who find themselves in crisis to be beneficiaries of a collective of churches who have come together and said we want our benevolence resources to be um, very strategic and focused and, and impactful, not just kind of haphazard and random um and maybe we're enabling we're not sure but at least we can kind of report to the church look at the end of the year look how much money we gave away it's like but how much did that actually help people um this organization sets itself up like that's what we do and this is very much upstream very much investing in the lives of at-risk families um in a very targeted way that's helping churches funnel their resources very strategically and focused um and we go that's brilliant that's so innovative and someone might say well what does that have to do with foster care and we'd say it has everything to do with foster care right Uh, just not in the traditional sense of foster care that we tend to think yeah
1: yeah and you know i know there's more stories that that are there again reach out to jason if you want to just talk through this and just some of those things if you're just banging your head against the wall as an organization as a church going like yeah i kind of i kind of get it but i'm just really struggling through it jason's very accessible busy but very accessible um reach out to him we'll have we'll have that contact info in the in the show notes We are at the point where, you know, as I say, all good things must come to an end, and this is one of those good things that must come to an end, but we have a couple more questions, as you know, that we asked our guests. We've asked them to you before. I'm gonna change the last one up a little bit, but what have you read, watched, or listened to, that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love or offend vulnerable children and families with excellence?
0: Yeah, um, I think my answer will be the same as last time. I don't read. I read read weird books. so does Brandon. So, you guys can hang out. Good. So, I read books that really have nothing to do with our particular space but there are principles that are beautifully applicable. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. A few that have been really helpful over the last year, I would say um, are many on our team actually read a book called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker mm-hmm. and it is just a fascinating book on literally gathering people. How we gather well with purpose. I also think there's a lot of applicable principles to how we gather people around vision. You know, she says uh, let the purpose of your event be the bouncer at the door that determines who gets in and who doesn't and what gets in and what doesn't. Uh, and so, I think all of our organizations uh, are in the event planning business. We're hosting fundraisers, we're hosting parent gatherings, we're so, what does that have to do with orphan and vulnerable children's space? A ton. A ton. So, I would highly recommend that. A great book called Quit by Annie Downs. Um, you know, don't read it at the office with leave it on your desk <laughs> if your boss walks in and sees you reading a book called Quit, hey, what's going on here? You know, but it's really she is a former professional poker player and she comes from the perspective of what make, what separates the professionals from the amateurs is the pros know when it's time to quit. Uh, and um uh she talks a lot about how um grit and perseverance are praised in our culture and rightly so in a lot of cases and yet somehow for some reason quitting is um kind of seen as less than or weakness when really sometimes the absolute most brave and strongest thing that you can do is know when it's time to quit something to free yourself up for what's best. Uh, So, I think that's super helpful. And then lastly, a book called Stolen Focus has been incredibly helpful. You know, at KFO we deeply value and spend a lot of time on soul health and soul care for leaders. Stolen Focus, a guy named Johan Hari, brilliant guy, uh, really makes the argument that we're not losing our capacity to pay attention to things of substance, It is, we're not losing it, it is actively being stolen from us. There are forces at play actually in y'all, in your both you California boys, neck of the woods, uh, Silicon Valley, they are actively working to capture and hold more of our attention and so, we can't passively address that. We have to actively address that and um, it's just, it's been, the concepts in there have been super helpful. Even for how we encourage families that are walking through hard things. We ask the question, you know, what are when we're walking through hard things, what are we paying attention to? Um uh and let's let's kind of let's look at scripture that says, um, things that are lovely and right and beautiful, they, like pay attention to those things. Uh, focus on those things. Um, don't pretend like hard's not hard, but uh, let's let's pay it. Let's actively pay attention to the to the things that are true, um, and that's where we'll find our hope. So, those have been three super helpful books for me in
1: the last year. Yeah, I haven't read any of them. I'm excited to dig into those for sure. Um, I will definitely um, grab those three. And then the um, it reminded me of uh, you know just that idea of stolen focus. I just talk to my kids about that all the time. The fact that um, the guys who start you know like jobs and gates and they wouldn't let their kids have cell phones exactly. until i think they went to college or something like they would didn't allow social media did not all those things because they know how they created it right is to like you said steal that and uh the reels that just that you know as we talk about and doing this podcast we know they don't put the really good content that's going to make people think on those reels that are so viral whatever they put the cat chasing yarn or they put the stupid thing that is just a quick laugh right and that's on purpose right that is on purpose and so absolutely awesome glad you recommended those things um all right so uh last question you know what what is a person i just say a person not the person but a person that has really impacted your thinking on how we can love orphaned vulnerable children with excellence Hey. Gosh, there's so
0: many people I get to interact with that are just inspiring. You know what? Um, I'll just say the, the guy who I, I mentioned earlier this this group in Florida that works with churches in this really innovative specific way addressing some upstream issues, helping. It just is killing all these birds with one stone, like it's, it, is, it is meeting the actual needs, it's actually helping not enabling families in crisis but it's also a position of we're here for you church and one of the ways that we're here for you is by offering a platform where you as a church know our money is making a difference. I think that's a gift for the church. And so, a guy named Jeff Chazon, I'll just say his name, uh, him and his wife built this, uh, in Florida and he's become a friend and I'm just watching him and, uh, his background as an investigator in DHS in Florida comes he's seen it all and then the application of a whole of his experience on that side was we've got to get upstream and we've got to be innovative about it and it's it's been inspiring to watch
1: well folks um that is a good place to end I definitely check out that all those things that we talked about on this episode um you uh, but thank you so much, Jason. Thank you for uh, who you are. Thank you for being true to the call that God has put on your heart, for sharing the the wisdom that God has put on you and in you. Um, You know, you talked about that idea of uh, the stolen focus. And I just reminded me of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And, you know, it's offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind then you will be able to tell what his goodwill is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I think about you and your life and just offering your body's living sacrifice and that you have, you know, your mind has been renewed. It's clear with what you write. I know it's not perfect. I know you have issues. I know you yell at your kids. I know that there's moments. But at the end of the day, I just really appreciate you as a brother who's, I know, spurring people on and sharpening others in their their walks and what they're doing. So thank you. um, And thank you for being a part of the show again.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm thankful for you guys and the thoughtfulness uh, that you put out into the space that is super helpful for people. So been fun.
1: Well, thanks again, Jason. Never disappoints. Um, I have had many a conversation with that man and I am more and more impressed with him every day. Just the man of God, he is the man of thought, uh, wisdom. Um, that, like I said, I mean, I said it to him, I'll say it again, that he, he shares it with, with people with just generosity and humility. And he knows he doesn't have it all figured out. And that's what I love about him is he is a deep thinker, um, which I know you love. And he's a man who cares deeply and loves extremely well. Um, And so i i said most of my thoughts during the episode there's so much good stuff in that conversation so much good stuff in that in that that we were able to um just just share and i love the love the conversation how about you brandon yeah i
2: feel like this is why we do the podcast is is getting thinkers like jason on here and um you know more and more we want to also see people in conversation with one another so i mean sarah's uh episode earlier this year was just fantastic so even in some ways you know putting them in conversation you know by proxy through us uh yeah. it is just like those are the types of interactions and nuance and taking into the big picture um from from the leaders and the practitioners that were able to get on the show so yeah absolutely i mean that's that's why we do it and it, the great thing is you know with jason um is this is just a one hour podcast, or I know we can go over a little today, but you know, this is just one hour every couple of weeks, but yeah. Jason on, you know, his website and certainly, you know, he works for KFO, So certainly on KFO's, uh KFO's resources, but there's a ton of stuff that you can jump into with Jason. Um, we mentioned the foster dad's piece. They have an e-course on that um, yeah. just on his website. They, you know, we mentioned the books, he's written multiple books that talk about foster care that talk about rallying people that talk about, um, engaging churches effectively, all of those resources are there. So yep. there's a ton that people can do to just continue to dive in with Jason. And I know we have people that are listening to this episode specifically because we had Jason on and, yep. uh, because he has that, you know, not just that reputation, but really an earned reputation as somebody that has yep. a passion and a heart to resource, uh, believers as they care for for vulnerable kids so um yeah not much more to add i I just so appreciate his uh his thoughtfulness for sure absolutely and and i don't have any recommendations i mean he had he had three recommendations there and each of those was like oh i need to get that oh i need to get that Uh, really i need to um finish my course you know teaching at vanguard so that i could actually have some time to just read something for fun uh, but, uh, I, I feel good, but you might have, uh, one recommendation. What, what you on do you got?
1: I do. I do. You know, he did a lot of books and I, I, I can't say they're great books. I imagine they are. If Jason's recommending them, I, I take that as a strong recommendation. Um, but I'm going to give you, uh, some videos, the Biola missions conference. I, I was able to go down. I talked about that on a previous, you know, I, I've talked about that on an episode and, and, uh, it was, it was just a great time. Um, and so I would go in just amazing speakers there. Francis Chan, David Platt, Lisa Pack, a few other folks who are just really solid, solid stuff. You can find it on YouTube. Just Google Biola Missions Conference. I'm sure that we can find the exact location and have it in the show notes. But uh, the Biola Missions Conference just happened a couple weeks ago. And um, and it was just sweet worship, great speakers. It's a woman from Turkey whose husband was martyred and she gets up there and talks about how it's a privilege to suffer for the kingdom it's uh, just amazing i mean it actually wrecked francis i'm not going to tell you the, the the details of it but he spoke after her and it was it was it was moving it was so moving but anyway that's my recommendation and and as always i just hope and pray that you take all these recommendations we're giving you the the stuff that jason talked about today the other episodes that we've been able to put out there to to really take all this stuff and and to use it in your lives don't just listen and discard it or listen and check the box okay i did a self-development podcast today listen to it chew on it engage with it and take it and use it to help you to love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day thanks a lot have a great couple weeks